Okay, well, listen, I'm glad to be with you. We are your missionaries, have been for many years. You ask me how many years, uh, I have no idea, but lots of years. Uh, we started as, as missionaries in 2005, and I believe it was probably 2005 when we came here first originally. Claire shaking her head, she has no idea either. We should have probably thought about that. So it's been many years, so really appreciate your support and your care for us. Um, we, we, uh, we're very thankful. We only came down ourselves. We have five boys, the oldest is 17, the youngest is nine, and the rest are somewhere in between the, the two ages. Uh, it changes all the time, so it's hard to keep up, as you know. Even John has the problem, and he has, uh, he has XL or something like that to help him. But uh, we're, we're, uh, we're the Kelly family, we're up, and our uh, role is we are our LifeGate Bible Baptist Church in Tala, and we have two ministries. We have a Friday night ministry in our church where we uh, encourage people with addictions to come in. Uh, and we preach. We have testimonies and all that kind of stuff every Friday night. Have been running that ministry since 2005. And since 2007 we started a ministry. It's a men's residential discipleship home called New Hope Residential Center. Uh, I'm sure most of you are aware of it. If you have never visited New Hope, please come and visit. We are uh, we are in that lovely area of Tala. Uh, please come and visit. We are you have to pass us to get to Dublin, the mighty Dublin. Okay, uh, but please come and visit us. We would love to have you visit. Uh, we weren't able to make men's camp. We were all set for men's camp, and then we had six guys get COVID like the day before we were to leave for men's camp. So we were not able to go. So it was tragic. Uh, they were all feeling sorry for themselves sitting around and they didn't get to go to men's camp. So we took them bowling a week later instead, okay? <laughs> Wasn't quite the same, but we, we wanted them to have fun. But uh, glad men's camp went well. So in New Hope, what do we do? We have a 12-month residential home uh, for guys with addiction issues. And um, we house 25 men, so it's quite a lot of men. Uh, we have 16 men in the main center and... In Tala, and then outside of that, we've three three-bedroom houses in the local area. So when they do 12 months in the residential home, they then can go into one of those step-down houses and stay there while they're working and stuff like that. It goes really, really well. We are always full. We always have a waiting list. I had 19 on my waiting list, 19 guys on my waiting list on Friday, uh, on Thursday when I left the office. Um, so even if everybody left the center, we could have a fill the next day. That's how busy it is. So if somebody phones up New Hope today to get help, uh, I'll probably be having to tell them it will be three or four months before I'll be able to take them in. What does that tell you? That our country has a lot of problems with addiction, doesn't it? And if our country has it, that means our children have it, that means our communities have it, that means our churches have problems with people with addiction issues. So I'm the addiction guy, I suppose. So what are we going to talk about this morning? We're going to talk about addiction. I don't normally do that when I come and, and, and speak in churches. But that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to talk about addiction. I'm going to give you nine reasons why people struggle with addiction and don't get help or struggle along and just never really get victory over it. You know, I, I travel a lot to different churches and I speak to a lot of people. And obviously we help a lot of people. But... Some get victory over addiction and then others seem to struggle for years and years. They're in and out of it, in and out of it, and they never seem to fully break free of it. 
And can somebody break free of addiction? Let me ask you that before we start. Can they? But what about once an addict, always an addict? Have you ever heard that phrase before? And that, that's, that's a secular phrase from, uh, from, from AA. And that would challenge what the Bible says, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall. It says make you free, just so we're really clear. God makes somebody free. He makes them different. Um, he makes them a new creature. Uh, it's not just that he takes the chains off and you're free. He remakes us. And, uh, and that's what we need to have in our lives. So let me ask you, we're, we're, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. Me and Claire had a late breakfast in the hotel. So just want you to know, she suggested I speak really long because we're going to have dinner with Bill. And uh, we're not really that hungry right now. So she says, if I preach for ages, then we'd be hungry by the end of the message. I thought that was a super idea. I'm not sure what you think. Um, but as I'm the one up here with the microphone, um, we will see how things go. So let me ask you, what is addiction? And I'm saying that so I'm getting you to think about it because I can't have so many just answer. Um, to you, what does addiction mean? If I'm to say the word addiction, what comes into your, into your mind? Probably slavery, handcuffs, bondage, those kind of words. But addiction is such a common problem and help is available. But addiction is defined as having, not having control over what you're doing or what you're taking, what you're using, uh, to the point that when you stop using it, it can be harmful to you or there's a reaction in you from the withdrawals or whatever it might be. Um, it hurts us to stop doing it. And addiction is mostly commonly associated with, with what? Well, alcohol, cigarettes, gambling, drugs, you know, pornography. Uh, but you know what? There's so many different things that, that, uh, that we can get addicted to. You know, what about video games? What about your mobile phone? Can a mobile phone be addictive? Yeah. That flicking and scrolling and just hoping there's another refresh. That refresh, isn't it? See if somebody else liked your dinner. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's, it's like that. Things can be addictive. Anything that makes us feel good can become addictive to us, uh, can become an addiction for us. And addiction is uh, one of those things that affects all uh, facets of society. It's not just in the, in, the, in the poorer areas. It's in every area. It's in every community. It's in every country. Why, Why do people get addictions? Because it's, it's our nature. It's that sinful nature that we have that is bent on pleasure it seeks to feel happy it wants to escape from reality often it wants to feel different it wants to think different it wants to have no problems or be able to forget problems and there's lots of reasons why people um, get involved in addiction some they're running from from abuse or they're running from a bad past they're running from some kind of trauma in their life for others they just uh, fell in with the wrong crowd when they were younger and started doing stuff and it kind of got a hold of them and caught up with them and then they're trapped. Uh, for others, it was just kind of, you know, curiosity. And you know what curiosity always done, don't we? Kills the cat. As a dog lover, that's a great, great phrase. Curiosity killed the cat. Um, but curiosity killed the cat. Oftentimes, younger people will do stuff because they're curious or they'll do stuff because they see their friends doing it. You know, if you go down to any school nowadays, you go to secondary schools and you see the kids on the break, what are they all going to be doing? They're all going to be puffing away on their vapes or their cigarettes, aren't they? So many. It's absolutely everywhere. And let me tell you, from very early on, 
people are getting drawn into things that aren't helpful for them, that are going to cause them to be addicted. You know, at New Hope, we have a, a no-smoking policy. So if somebody wants help, they have to be willing not just to stop the heroin or not just to stop the crack cocaine or not just to stop the methadone. They have to be willing to stop smoking as well. And listen, smoking is a hard addiction to beat. I used to smoke, so I know it. It's, hard, it's a hard addiction to beat. I used to be a heroin addict. That was hard to beat, but I think smoking was harder. That's the truth. It's one of those things that it's so common. You walk into the shops and what do you smell? You have to walk past people. You know, it's just, it's everywhere. You know, we stayed in a hotel last night. We're coming out this morning, and what are people doing standing at the door of the hotel? They're smoking. Well, if you're struggling with smoking, you're having to walk past it all the time, and what does that do? That triggers you, doesn't it, into thinking about uh, the cigarettes. You smell them, you can taste them, you want them, uh, and that's, the, that's kind of the cycle. That's the kind of the way it works. But people get caught doing all sorts of different things. Why does Leighton have a no-smoking policy at New Hope? Because it's the first drug that somebody will ever take. It's the first drug they'll ever steal for. They've robbed them off their parents normally. It's the first drug they'll ever do with their friends, with their peer group. So it's that first initial gateway behavior or, or drug that they will do that sets them on the road often that if they end up further down the road, that's where they will have started. So uh, we want to, and it's addictive. And anything that's addictive is, is obviously not good for us. You know, and if you see on the box of cigarettes, what does it say? Smoking, what? Gives longer life, doesn't it? <laughs> Smoking kills, okay? And it puts that on the box. And, and if, if a Christian is uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit and God lives in us, I shouldn't be doing stuff that, um, that I know for sure is, is hurting that. So uh, that's why we have a no-smoking policy. But it is a hard addiction to stop. So addiction, is it possible to stop? Absolutely. You know, um, you know, it's unpleasant when somebody stops doing whatever they're addicted to because what happens when you stop doing something you're addicted to? You start craving, don't you? Did you ever hear that word before? Any of you ever crave anything before? Yeah. A shorter sermon. No, no. Um, but you know, what do we crave? We crave, you know, you smell, you know, somebody's cooking in the kitchen. And you can't wait for your dinner when you're hungry. You know, the st stuff we crave, you know. Um, but I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a verse that all you should know. You probably should have it memorized. If you don't have it memorized, please mark it, memorize it. This is an important verse. But before we get into the nine reasons, I just want to let you know there is hope. There is always a way out. There is always another, another way. You do not have to give in. You can be successful. God is able in your life. We have no excuse. The God of heaven that lives within us provided a way for us to be successful Christians and be a light and a testimony in this dark world. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a, is a great verse. It says this, no, There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but also with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what does that mean for us? That means that there's no temptation that's going to come in your life or my life that we can't say no to. Because every temptation that comes into my life has passed through the loving hands of my God and, and I am not going to be hit with anything that I can't go through. And with every temptation the Bible says, and the Bible is true from, from the book of Genesis 
to the book of maps somewhere at the back, all the way through to the book of the Revelation, it is true. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God tells us with every temptation, what's he going to do? He's going to give us a way to escape. Then he makes you responsible for taking that way of escape. He does his bit all the time. Our problem is, our human nature does not want us to do our bit. And we want to hang around in dangerous places. We want to hang around doing dangerous things. And then we get caught and the temptation feels like we can't but give in to it. But know this, God has made a way for you to escape that you may be able to bear it. You don't have to give in. You know what, but that's not the reality of where most of us live. The normal pattern is we struggle. The sin seems to overtake us. We, we find it hard when we're fighting against it to say no. We don't want to think about it. And when we don't want to think about it, what's the only thing we end up thinking about? It. <laughs> Whatever that might be. Uh, so sometimes trying not to think about something isn't the, isn't the right way. Don't try just not think about something. You have to replace what you're thinking about rather than trying not to think about what you're not meant to think about. Um, hope that makes sense to you but uh, when you're struggling with temptation when you're struggling with with sin addiction and addiction is just sin the men that come into my ministry the women that come for help you know they're not uh, sinners because they're addicts they're addicts because they're sinners does that make sense to you you know addiction is just a form of sin just like anything else uh, and it's just a catch-all phrase in a sense but when you're struggling with sin you you know it feels like you can't pray temptation grows stronger you know the battles that you, you lose more than you win the battle seems to you know you seem to struggle all the time and uh, before we get going I'm going to give you nine points the first point is grab your Bible turn to uh, Ephesians 6 with me have you flick around a little bit in your Bibles and the quicker you turn the quicker you go home okay and uh, that's my promise to you if you're slow with the fingers torn in the Bible pages we could be here all night me and Claire don't have to be home we have a babysitter so uh, we are we're in good shape um, so uh, first thing we're going to look at is if we don't recognize the reality uh, of the addiction issue or the sin issue has been a spiritual problem we'll never get victory over it Ephesians uh, 6 12 says this uh, because we wrestle against a, a real enemy who wants to keep us in bondage, he's vicious, he's tenacious, and if we don't recognize the reality of it, we're destined for defeat. You know, know this about the devil, we're going to talk about it in a sec. He has watched you since you were born. He has seen how you act. He knows what you fall for. He knows what tricks you. For those of you that fish in the room, you know particular type fish like particular type lures. You know what? The devil knows exactly how to get you. He's seen you fall many times. And he has used the same thing on you many times. The Bible says that just man falleth seven times. In other words, even good saved people fall into sin. You know what? When you got saved, you didn't become perfect, did you? Hopefully you, you don't think you became perfect. And if you think you became perfect, please see me afterwards. I'm sure I can get you the same before we leave church this morning. Um, but we are not. We are on our way to heaven. We are on our way to perfection and being uh, right before God. And we are right before God. And God sees us as uh, he sees Jesus. But we still live in flesh and blood. We still sin on a regular basis. 
And, you know, hopefully the more you walk with God, the less you will be sinning. But, you know what, it's a struggle. I want you to look at Ephesians 6, 12. Tells us about this battle that we're in. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So this wrestling match, this battle that we're in, what does this verse tell us it is? It tells us it's a spiritual battle. Oftentimes we're not aware of it. We don't recognize that it's a spiritual issue. We think it's the cigarettes, or we think it's the food, or we think it's the drugs or the alcohol or whatever it might be, uh, but we never think it's a spiritual problem that we have. And if we don't recognize it, uh, recognize it as a spiritual battle, we're unlikely to win it. I wonder are you aware of the battle that you're in? Do you know the triggers that set off your thinking in a certain way? Do you know where your weak points are? You know, for years of my life, I never realized why I was so vulnerable when I was an addict. I would get clean and I got back on drugs. And I never realized what it was until I realized how vulnerable I was to being rejected. You say, well, how did you get vulnerable to being rejected? Because my father wasn't there when I was growing up. He rejected us. That's the way I felt. Felt unloved, felt unwanted, felt like, you know, uh, felt I was missing something. So when anybody, whether it was a teacher, whether it was a friend, uh, if I was going to put myself in a place where I would get rejected, I would do anything to try stay and, and not fall out, try to get my friends to like me. Even though I was doing stuff I didn't want to do, I didn't want to suffer that rejection, so I was willing to do anything that they were doing. And I, and I was vulnerable in that area, but I didn't realize that till years later. We need to know where we're vulnerable. We need to know what gets us going, what maybe past hurts trigger off bad thinking in us or rejection in us. But if we don't see the spiritual uh, problem, we're not going to look for a spiritual answer. Um, so in Mark chapter 5, don't turn there. I want you to find, uh, find 1 Peter 5a for me. Real, another familiar verse that you should memorize. But in Mark chapter 5, while you turn there, there's a, a man called the Gathering Demoniac. You will know the story. He's the man that had legion. And uh, he had many demons in him. And he was, had massive problems. But he used to live in a graveyard. He used to cut himself, he used to self-harm, and he had massive problems in his life. But you know what? The people in his life, you will read in Mark chapter 5, uh, they used to put chains on him. They used to put, um, they used to put him in, in like restrictions to try to restrict these movements. Because they thought that if we restrict these movements and we chain him up, he won't have problems or we can reduce the amount of problems that he has. You know what? Our problems aren't physical that you can just chain somebody up. And I know that because I run a 12-month program for men. If the men don't change on the inside, it doesn't matter how long I keep them out of the drug situation, they're going to end up back there unless something changes on the inside. You know what happened to that gathering demoniac? You can read it in Mark chapter 5. He ran and he worshipped Jesus. He fell on his face and he worshipped Jesus. What happened? He had a spiritual transformation, which then led to a physical transformation, and he went on then to witness for Jesus. He, uh, Jesus wouldn't let him go with him. But I want you to look at um, Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8. And it tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may, what's the next word? Devour. So what's, he, what's the devil trying to do in your life? He's trying to devour you. 
Now, I love watching documentaries. I love watching animal stuff. And, uh, you know, when the Bible gives you some word pictures, it's not like you're going to look out that door this morning and you're going to see a, a lion walking past the door. If you do, it's escape from the zoo. It's not the devil, okay? Um, so, but you know what? When the Bible says that your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, it's giving you a word picture to describe some of his tactics in your life. And you know, uh, what does, what's his tactics in your life? Well, you know what, it tells you be sober. That's not just don't be drunk. That's be of a right mind, be of a, a steady mind. Be sober, be vigilant. That's where we get our word for vigilante from. And what's that? Somebody that's cautious, they're on the lookout. Uh, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, has a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. If you look at nature programs and you look at how lions work and how they hunt, what do they do? They look for the most vulnerable in the, in the herd. They look for the older ones that have just wandered away or the sick ones that aren't able to keep up. They look, they, they look for the curious ones that go across to the long grass, don't they? And they're, they're looking, he's looking to pounce. And oftentimes that's what happens when you wander away from the Lord. You get out of church. You start doing the wrong things. You start getting uh, curious about things you shouldn't be doing. Uh, we end up in trouble and we become easy prey for this roaring line, the devil, to attack us. In James 4, 7 it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So although we have a great enemy, we have a great God. And God says that if you resist um, if you resist the devil and you're submitted to God, that the devil will flee from you. You don't have to be always on the run. As a matter of fact, there's a problem if you're a Christian and you're always on the run. You're always being defeated. You're always being chased down and you're barely getting through another day as a Christian. Uh, there's something wrong in your Christian life if that's the way it is for you. You submit yourself to God. Submit yourself under His care, under His leading. Resist the devil. Well, what does it mean to resist the devil? To, to push him back when those thoughts come, when them temptations come in your life. Resist them and, and, and submit yourself to God and the devil will flee from you. Second point we're going to look at is, the first one we looked at is, uh, we, if we don't recognize it as a spiritual problem, we won't seek a spiritual uh, solution. Number two we're going to look at is, the, the reality is about sin is, we love our sin. That's number two. The reason why we don't get victory over sin is because we love it. We want it. You know, it hangs, we hang on to sin because we're getting something out of it. You know, uh, whatever it is may be temporary that we're doing, but it's strong enough to keep drawing us back. You know, um, you know, with addiction, it's one of those things that we know it's causing pain in our lives. And whatever your sin is, I'm saying addiction, you just put whatever your thing is, you put that down. You know what, even though we know it's hurting us oftentimes what we're doing, it's damaging relationships in our lives, it's, it's, uh, it's putting our jobs at risk, maybe it's putting our families at risk. We still do it, we still go back to it, it still draws us back to it. Why is that? It's because we love our sin. We need to hate sin, but oftentimes we love it. We have this terrible relationship with sin uh, where, you know, uh, that, that it, it, even though we know the destructive nature of it, we keep going back to it. What the Bible says? The Bible says, uh, as a dog returneth to its vomit, 
as a dog returning to its vomit. That's a, a great picture of people going back to their sin. As a dog returning to its vomit, so a fool shall also return to his folly. You know what? We need to make sure that we're not just keeping going back to the old stuff. You know what? When, when you're uh, in a place where you're being caused pain by the sin in your life, we hate it. We don't like the consequences of sin in our life. Um, but you know what? When you come away from it and you give it up, what happens? We miss it. We long for it. it you know, addiction is like one of those. It's, it's like a relationship. It's like when you're away from somebody you love for some time, you know, you, you miss them. You want to get them back. And addiction can be like that. Your sin can be like that. Where, you know, um, you know it was ruining your life, but yet there's something many that would like to get back to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it ruins us, it hurts us, but yet we still get drawn to it. Grab your Bible, turn to uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. 1 Peter 2 verse 11. Does your sin still draw you to it? Is it, does it call to you in a sense? First Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, what's the next word? Abstain. I, I run an abstinence-based program. So what does that mean? What does it mean to abstain from something? To stay away from not to do it. An abstinence-based program, we, we don't have, uh, people have to give up drugs or alcohol, whatever, to come into us. It says abstain from what? Fleshly lusts. Well, what's a lust? A lust is a strong desire. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which what? War against the soul. You know what uh, those fleshly lusts do to us? They war against the soul. And you know what? They absolutely war against you. There's that battle that goes on. And you know that you're, you shouldn't be doing stuff, yet there's a war that goes on inside you. Because just like you and me, we're the same. And what happens is there's half of me that wants to do right and live for God. And then there's another half that wants to do wrong and enjoys the pleasures of sin. Isn't that true in us all? And, uh, you know, what did Paul say? You know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I, I know I should do, uh, they're the things that I'm not doing. He says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You know, he's, and that's the Apostle Paul, and he's having that daily struggle in his life. He's having that war. You know, uh, oftentimes, uh, a reason why people don't get victory over addiction is, and point number three is, nobody taught us how to overcome sin. You know, I go to a lot of churches and normally the advice that somebody is given if they're struggling with sin is, just stop. And I'll be praying for you. And let me pat them on the back and see you later. Okay? Um, is that enough? <laughs> no, it's not enough. Grab your Bible, if you will. Turn to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. The end of the, the, end of the chapter with me. Uh, some wonderful, wonderful verses. I know I'm telling you, you should memorize uh, these verses. And you still do a lot of Bible memory up here, I'm sure. Um, but uh, these are some good ones. Um, you know what? Uh, I'm amazed how many times people just don't know what to do. We need to be sp specific in giving our information or giving help. Uh, we need to make sure that people know what they're meant to do and what they're not meant to do. 2 Timothy 2.24 says this. 
Uh, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. They're wonderful verses. What does that tell us? That tells us a lot. So let's dissect and define what it says. It says, the servant of the Lord. Who's that talking about? Is that just talking about Pastor Craig needs to do all this stuff and be all this stuff? Is he the only one that's a servant of the Lord down here in, in, uh, in Bible Baptist Church, is he? It's all of us. So if it's all of us, let's look at what the Bible says we all should do. Uh, it says, the servant of the Lord must not, what's the next word? Strive. What does that mean? Kind of like arguing back and forward with people. Do you ever do that with people? Do you ever try to argue somebody out our problems? It doesn't really work, okay? Tried it many times, still try it regularly, but it doesn't work, okay? You can't, you can't do it. Uh, but the servant of the Lord must not strive. And you're going to find in these three verses that there is, uh, that there is um, four people mentioned. Yeah, there's four people mentioned in these three verses. The servant of the Lord, he's number one. Who's he? That's me and you, yeah? We're in, we're in the verse. Uh, it says we must not strive. So it's going to tell you a few characteristics about what you should be or who you should be as a servant of the Lord. It says the servant of the Lord must not strive. Not be arguing with people. But be gentle unto all men. It's not easy to be gentle with everybody. Because not everybody's nice. And people let you down, don't they? You wouldn't believe how many people say, I'll see you on Friday night. You know, I know I'm leaving the program today. I'll see you Sunday in church. <laughs> they never turn up, okay? Uh, but uh, it's just like that. People let you down. But you need to be gentle on the people. What's the opposite of being gentle with people? Being harsh. Sometimes what do Christians get a reputation for being? Harsh. Judgmental, isn't it? Did you ever hear that before? That's why so many people go around with tattoos nowadays. Only God can judge me. Now, it's an absolute lie, but that's what they go around with tattoos about nowadays. We need to be careful. Uh, we need to be gentle. We, not, we don't need to be uh, soft. We need to be real gentle. And then it says this. It says, apt to teach. We need to, as Christians, get to the place where we get discipled as Christians so we're in a place then to be able to teach. We become a discipler after we get saved when we get discipled. We need to be able to teach people the right way. We need to be patient. Why? Because not everybody grows at the same time. Not everybody grows the same way. And sometimes we have an expectation because God done this in this way in my life that he should do it in that way in your life. And that's just not the reality. Some people take a bit more time. Some people take a, a, a learn a different way. We need to just be patient with people. Then it says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So here we're introduced to another person. We're introduced to the one that needs help. It's the person that's opposing themselves. They're, they're hurting themselves by what they're doing. They're going against themselves. And it says in meekness, we need to make sure that we're instructing. What's that? Given clear instructions about what they should do. Um, it says, uh, the servant of the Lord must not try, but gentle and well, have to teach. Uh, and then it says, um, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So this guy that we need to be able to help with maybe a sin problem, addiction problem, a life problem, 
we need to be able to help him. What he's doing is hurting himself. That's what sin does. We hurt ourselves by it. But it says this, and we're introduced to the, fourth, uh, the third person, if God. So we're introduced to God at this point. Uh, so uh, this person that needs help not only needs a servant of the Lord, that's you, Jesus with skin on. He also needs you to act and live in a certain way. Then he needs God, okay? Um, and if God pre-adventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So what's that? We need God to help the person that's opposed themselves to see the problem for what it is and to be able to be, I suppose, to be willing to be helped. You know what? Uh, we can't, we're not a self-help program. The church isn't a self-help group. You know, we are a, we are a one-step program uh, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's the only step. But there, isn't there a willingness then as we grow and mature uh, in the Christian life that we, we have to surrender to God, different areas of our life as we grow with God. And you know what, that person that's opposed himself, he needs to get to the place where he sees the truth for what it is, that he gets saved, that he uh, trusts Christ, uh, that he acknowledges who God is and what he needs. And it says this, look at verse 26, and that they may recover, what's the next word? Themselves. So as much as God wants you to be able to help people, on a very basic level, he is always there willing to help somebody. He will send you across people's path to give them the gospel and give them help. But you know what? He also expects them to make the decisions that they need to make to do the right thing to walk with him. That they may recover themselves out of what? We're introduced then to the fourth person in the story, and that's the devil. Uh, and and, and uh, it says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. So what's a snare? It's a trap. Can you see traps when they're laid? No. That's, that's a good trap. You can't see it. Oftentimes people have been caught in the snare of the devil never even saw it coming. The people with addiction issues, they didn't want to be, they didn't never wanted to be addicts. They just made bad choices. They just got caught in some snares and they haven't been able to get out of it. Uh, who are taken captive by him at his will. It's real easy for him to catch those people again once he has them. And we need to be careful that we, we become that servant of the Lord, that we get discipled, that we grow, and then we're able to go and help somebody else from that point. You know what? Can God use you? He can use you. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6.12, it says, All things are lawful unto me, uh, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know what Paul says? He says, A lot of things I can do that I don't do. I don't want to be brought under anything's power. Because there's only one that I should be under. And I don't want to be losing my control to anybody or anything. Uh, fourth point we're going to look at. And we're going to race through them because we're running out of time. Uh, we, prefer, we prefer hiddenness over confession. Oftentimes when somebody has a, a sin issue, a problem with sin. You know, confession is never easy. Getting right is never easy. It's embarrassing. It's painful. And sometimes it's easier just to stay in the darkness than it is to bring stuff out into the light. Um, you know, we, we, we don't think people would, uh, you know, we don't want people thinking bad of us, so we're not willing to kind of reach out and ask for help. And uh, go to James 5.16, James 5.16. In John 3.19 it says, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love what rather than light. 
They loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. You know, there's something in us all that, we, you know, uh, when we're not doing right, darkness comes in and we, we're, afraid, we're afraid of the light. We step back from the light. While you hide, uh, while you hid from man what God already knows, there's no, uh, you're not in a place to get help. So if you're hiding from man what God already knows, you're not in a place to get help. Why? Because we're trying to hold on to it. We're embarrassed. We don't want to confess. We don't want to get it right. I want you to look at uh, 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 James 5.16. As it really dropped the mask, I suppose. It says this, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fear and prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So what does it tell you to confess to a man? Faults, not your sins. Who do you confess your sins to? God. The Bible says we confess our sins. He's faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But you know what God has placed in our lives? He has placed people. And sometimes for accountability's sake, for support's sake, they're, they're, it's right and good that we go around and with somebody in our lives that we trust and we're able to be honest with that can maybe help us and disciple us and come around us and pray for us uh, that you get with somebody and you say look I'm struggling with this area of my life I'm struggling I've been struggling with it for a while I haven't been able to get victory over this is what I've done and I'm looking to get help I'm looking for you to keep me accountable sometimes that's what we need we need that in a sense Jesus with skin on that we go to for help not that you like you go to the priest for a confession, but you go and you're looking for accountability and support. And we need that at times. But where do you go for a confession of sin? You go to God and Him alone. Uh, number five, uh, we have no one to talk to. And this is what sin does to us. Sin gets us to the place where uh, we don't want to go around the right people when we're doing wrong things. We're, we were designed to be relational. You know what, when Adam was in the garden on his own before God created Eve, what did Adam have of God? He had everything, didn't he? Was he in sin at that point? No, he was perfect. So we had this perfect man with his perfect God in the perfect garden. And what did God say? It's not good. Even this perfect man in the perfect garden with a perfect God, and God says, this isn't, this isn't good. Uh, it's not good that man should be what? Alone. Um... And we've had some really, uh, really good uh, people in here this morning, long-term mar- uh, people in long-term marriages, which is wonderful. But it's not good that man should be alone. We're relational. God has made us relational. We need people in our lives. But what will sin do in your life? Sin will separate you, not just from your God, but will separate you from people. It will, it will try push you away from church. It will try push you away from your Bible. It will try push you away from the very place and people that could help you. That's what sin will do. And then we'll say, I've nobody to help. I can't trust anybody. You make sure as a Christian that people can trust you. That you're not a gossip. That if somebody says something to you uh, in in private, it stays with you. You be somebody that people can rely upon. I know I can speak to him because it it won't be in the bulletin in church next Sunday if I say it to him. You know, we need to be that person for somebody. Start trusting. You know what, number six, and we're nearly done. We assume that we're the only one dealing with this sin. And that's what, that's what sin tells us. You're the only one. And we get consumed by our hidden sin. 
we conclude that nobody else struggles with the sin we have uh, and, and people just don't do it and we feel like we're the only one. And we battle and we lose and we think our sin is just unique. You know what? Everybody thinks like this at times. Uh, in, in a, there's a great story uh, about Elijah. And um, you remember he, uh, he defeated all the prophets of Baal and then he goes on the run from Jezebel. Remember that? And uh, remember he gets to the place and he came, uh, in 1 Kings 19 and 9 it says this, And he came hither unto a cave and he lodged there and behold the word of the Lord came unto him and, he, and, and said unto him, What doest thou here Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. And for the children of Israel have I forsa- have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And he says this, and it's all about the eyes. This is what we think when we're doing wrong. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What happened to him? He wasn't doing well himself. He wasn't where he should be. He was running from God, running from his responsibilities. He was away from his people, away from his place of of where he should be serving. And he wasn't doing what he was meant to do. And he felt like he was the only one. And sin will make you feel like you're the only one that nobody else understands. But let me tell you, there's other people around here and in your life that have gone through what you're going through maybe right now. And if you would just ask for help, you would probably find somebody that has been through that and be able to help you. Sin will, number seven, will pull us away from other believers because it isolates us. It pulls us away from relationships and accountability. We will stop coming to church. We'll get disconnected from those that we should be connected to. Um, in Genesis uh, in Genesis 3 and 9, uh, after, after Adam and Eve sin in the garden, uh, Verse 9 says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, We all should know. What's the question God said? This is the God who made everything, who knows everything, who was all-known, all-powerful. And he says, Adam, where art thou? He only had two people God did at this point, and he lost Adam. Is that true? Is that, is that, was God looking for Adam? What was God trying to do in Adam's life? He was asking Adam, Adam, where are you at? Where are you, Adam? And where was Adam? Adam was hiding, wasn't he? Hiding in a bush. <laughs> hiding in a bush thinking God won't find him. Because that's exactly what sin does. That's exactly what sin does. Sin makes us hide. And when you find that you don't want to go to church, and when you find that you don't want to open your Bible, when you find you don't want to do the things that you should do, you should examine your heart and say, is there something blocking me here? Is there a spiritual issue that I have that's affecting me in this physical way that I don't want to be around this person and I don't want to go there? You know what? Adam, where art thou? Christian, are you hiding? Let's look at number eight. We're nearly done. Uh, We convince ourselves that uh, our sin isn't so bad. So sometimes we will try minimize, we'll try justify the sin, we will say that I know other Christians that do it and it's not so bad. Um, you know, this is a dangerous step for us to take, but many take it. Where we try minimize the wrong and justify why it's okay for me to do it. You know what? Don't do that. What did David have to do? He had to say, search me, oh God, didn't he? He said he needed God to search him. Why did David need God to search him? Why didn't he search himself? 
because sometimes we lie to ourselves, don't we? We tell ourselves what we want to hear instead of what God is, God is dealing with us on. Do you remember the story in the Bible uh, in, um, where the children of Israel, they've just crossed over the, the, uh, the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They are on fire. God is with them. Joshua is the new leader. Moses is dead. And uh, they have just uh, seen the walls of Jericho fall down. They had won a great victory. Everything was good. They go up to this little tiny town on the top of the hill called Ai. This little tiny town. Little tiny town. And uh, they're like, well, do we really need everybody to go up there and beat this city? Have you not just seen what we've done? But what they didn't realize was the reason why they weren't, they, they go up and they get defeated and a number of them die. And God says, there's sin in the camp. But you see, the guy that commit the sin, he justified it to himself. Do you remember what his name was? Achan. Do you remember that? That's a, that's a bad name in the Bible. He is, he's a bad guy in the Bible. What happened with Achan was, as he went through Jericho, all the stuff was meant to be given to God in that fourth city that they went in, was meant to go, go to the temple, given to God as a sacrifice. But, Achan saw that money, saw that gold and silver, saw those fancy clothes, and he thought, it's not such a big deal that I take these. Nobody has seen me. I'm just going to do this wrong thing. But you know what his wrong thing done? It compromised the group. Um, you see, what we do when you're part of a church, what you do has an effect on the church, has an effect on your family, has an effect on your employer. What you do... Uh, you know what, be responsible for it. El Aiken uh, paid with his life. But you know what, he justified what he'd done. He, he didn't think it was a big deal. But God saw it as a big deal. So don't minimize what you're doing. Uh, and lastly, um, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, last verse, Psalm 50, uh, verse 15. Why do people struggle getting over addiction? Why do people struggle getting over sin? Well, it's because sometimes we lose hope in breaking the pattern of sin in our life. We've struggled with it for so long, we kind of just accept defeat. And never accept defeat in your life. You know, after a while, we, we believe that we'll always be this way. And we give up on God, we give up on, the, on hope that things can be ever any different than they are. And the cycle in our life just continues but here's the good news. We can always win battles. And you know what? You might be struggling with a recurrent pattern of sin in your life. And defeat is regular in your life. But it doesn't always have to be that way. You know what? Look at, let's look at Psalm 50. We'll finish with this verse. It says this. Psalm 50, 15. It says, And call upon me in the day of trouble. You know what? Each one in this room, including me, we have days of trouble, don't we? Where we're just up against it. We don't seem to be able to get victory. We don't seem to be able to solve the problem. It just keeps reoccurring in our lives. God says this. He says, call upon me. Call upon me. You could stop there in your Bible and spend the next 20 years trying to figure that out. What calling upon God could do in your life in a real way? call upon me that's an invitation from the God that made everything that made you and he says you know what son daughter call upon me in the day of trouble 
And this is what I'll do. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, I will deliver thee. You see, he's always able. He's always able. You know, it's us that fall short. It's not him. He says, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So why is God so much in the business of helping Christians get to the place where they walk rightly before him and, and become lights in the community? Why is it? Because when God gives victory and when God delivers, and it could be only him that delivers you, what do we do? And what do people see happen? They think, well, if God could save that fella, he used to be the drunk in this town. Or he used to be the drug addict in this town. But now look at him. Or he used to have this problem, and now look at him. He used to be that angry fella that was always giving out. Now look at him. And you shall call, and you shall call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. See, when God gives victory, you know what you're going to start doing? You're going to know that it was from God because you couldn't do it on your own. And you're going to start glorifying him. And God's always been your answer. Years I spent in drug addiction, never thought God was my answer. God was always my answer. I just didn't know it. Christian, this morning, let me encourage you. Get honest with God. If there's an issue of defeat in your life to whatever it is, call upon God in your day of trouble. He says he will deliver you and then you will glorify him.